This is the Endurance Church Podcast with Pastor Anthony Bass. At Endurance Church, our goal is to live well and finish strong by becoming faithful disciples of Christ. We do this through loving, disciplined, Bible-based teaching, encouragement, and care. For more information about our ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. And now, today's message. All right. Not necessarily a rhetorical question, but I have to ask it anyway. What is the best gift you have ever given somebody? The mic is open, it's hot, if you're willing to be brave and come up and share. Yes, woo! she saved us. Um, I don't know. Okay, I would say my best gift was when I was younger and I used to be really into brats. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, so I guess it was like a convertible like van type of thing for brats. That was like my funnest thing to play with my brats. So, so I'm asking you, so you got that gift for somebody else? Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. Sorry. My bad. <laughs> but I don't know. So I would say my greatest gift was probably to my mom when I got her like a handmade like earrings, like somebody made them and I got them for her. Okay. There you so go. I don't know. I don't, I don't really get gifts. That's great. That was great. <laughs> Give her a hand. She was brave. Yeah, thank you. Okay, so I'm going to speak for my husband. I think I remember back to when my mom was on her deathbed. The greatest gift my husband gave my entire family was he got a group together and surprised when my mom came home into hospice care, he had decorated the entire basement to make it her little winter wonderland because Christmas was her favorite season. And that gift wasn't just for my mom to enjoy her last 
Christmas season with us, it was for our whole family because we got to see that joy that he gave her on her face and then the people that he incorporated bringing in. So, Amen. No? Isn't it interesting? That's something like we kind of struggle with communicating or even articulating. Like, have we given our best gift yet, our greatest gift? And I remember, you know, asking my mom types of questions like this when I was younger, and she would say, hopefully I haven't given it yet. But if, if you had to say, like, what your best gift was, that's, if we begin to process a thing, like, man, you know what? Am I even thinking like that? Do we even think we should give our, our best gift? Are, are, we, are we thinking outward, not, not about ourselves, but about those people who we interact with? And obviously, as a parent, you're thinking you're giving good gifts all the time to your kids, but if you're, not, if you're not married, you're like, okay, well, what's the best, maybe a gift you gave to your family. Maybe, maybe you got a good gift there. But you know, this is how good God is. Like, God thinks about stuff like that. God, God wants to give us his very, very, very best, because that's how he is. See, our, all our lives, we're trying to become like him. If you, if you go back and look at your life, every good thing that has happened to you is it's because of God. Now, a lot of people don't realize, like, if you want to think, um, you know, as far as philosophy goes, remember, the devil exists even this day because of God's goodness. God, in, in a second, could eliminate him. Every single person on this earth here is experiencing the goodness of God because they have life. The Bible says he, he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Like God is giving everybody on the planet good gifts. Because we have an opportunity to live, that's, that's because of the goodness of God. But, but for those people who love him, who've, who've surrendered to him, God has given us something a little bit more special. And that's what we're going to talk about today. God wills something for us. It's, it's God's desire for all of humanity to have this gift and the unique thing about God, it really talks about Him. We talk about what He gives. So today we're still on the Father heart of God. We have a couple more months on this topic. I think when the sun comes out and it starts getting hot, we'll transition to another topic. But, but today we're going to come out of 1 John. And for those of you who don't know, 1 John and 2 John and 3 John are epistles from the Apostle John. And remember, in, in the New Testament, the book of John, it's the same author, also the author of the book of Revelation. And remember, this John is the John who laid on Jesus' bosom at the Last Supper. This is the John who he describes himself as the disciple whom Jesus, what? Loved. This is the one who had an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. So to me, when you look at John, to me, he has like relationship goals with God, right? You know, have you seen those pictures on Facebook and Twitter? They have this couple doing this amazing thing and it says relationship goals. It's supposed to be something you aspire to, right? So when you open your Bible and you read about John, his intimacy with Jesus should be our relationship goals with God. He was the one who was so close, so intimate with him that he was in the inner three, but he was also one who was personally close with Jesus. They were, they were, they were intimate with each other. And that's what God wants us to aspire to. This life is not simply about understanding doctrine or living a simply a moral life. This, this life is about our love affair with God. 
And the problem is many of us really haven't got to that place where we can say, honestly, man, I do have a love affair with God. Now, I'm a pastor of a church, but my goal isn't necessarily to build a mega church. That'd be great, but that's not my goal. My goal is to help you fall in love with God. And if you are in love with God, all the other ducks are going to line up. Now, the problem is sometimes our love for God, it wanes, it ebbs, it flows. Sometimes we're in love, sometimes we're not in love with God. But we have to understand the love we're talking about is the godly kind of love. And that word is called agape. That's a choice. It's not necessarily an emotional love, a family love. It's a love that results from a place, it comes from a place of sacrifice. That because you love God, it's like, it's like anybody here who ever had a, a, a child and, the, and the, the baby is crying at 3 o'clock in the morning. And you got to get up at 4.30. And, and somebody needs to get up and take care of the baby. Now, at that moment, you may not feel like getting up, taking care of that baby. But because of love, you'll get up. Because that baby, you know, can't take care of him or herself. That's... that's that's similar to agape love, that you have to make a choice to do it. And this love is always followed by an action. Agape love doesn't exist in a vacuum. It's not just an idea. It's an action that was preceded by a choice. John here is having some problems. He's the kind of like apostle or bishop of a couple of small churches, and they're in the, the city of Ephesus. And Ephesus, remember, we talked about it a couple series ago. Ephesus was like the, the city of desire, right? That, that's, it's the place that to, to be desired had everything. Now, this is before Timothy is actually the pastor of that church. John is here. Now, we talked about John. This is the guy that is close to Jesus. He was actually with Jesus when Jesus was at the cross. This is the same John who that when Jesus went across, he said, take care of my mama. While I'm gone. So, so anybody on the earth should have credit and clout. Besides James, Jesus' brother, it's John. Like this guy was close to Jesus. But he's having problems in his church. The problems are this false teaching has come in saying you can sin all you want and God will forgive you. You can do whatever you want. And don't even ask for forgiveness. God understands. So God's grace will cover everything. So just keep on sinning. You'll be okay. He also had a, a group of people who left his church. Now, now imagine people leaving his church. John. I mean, who else has more credibility than him? John. If they leave John, they'll leave everybody. It's, it's a fact. But it's not that he was teaching wrong. It's not that he was speaking wrong. It's just that these people weren't staying close to Jesus. And because of that, it began to stray. And third John, actually what happened there was there was a guy who was a house church pastor, but he was being very mean. He was actually kind of abusing the saints. So John had to write three epistles to try to address all these issues. And he focused on three things. He focused on love, good doctrine, and moral accountability or moral righteousness that comes with our relationship with God. Let's jump into John and then we'll get started. But before that, I got a quote by the cat from the, the sheriff, from Peyton Manning. You know we're in church when we got a Peyton Manning quote, right? It says, 
The one year the Lord took my greatest physical gift, he gave me the greatest gift you could ever have in children. So, so that was a real equalizer. I would, I would take that trade any day of the week. So, so for Peyton Manning, he's saying the greatest gift he ever received, he said, was his kids. Let's go to the scripture. Keep that in mind. 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, and this is all. We don't have any more scriptures today, so I'm not going to be a long time kind of breaking down the background. But it's important to understand what he's talking about. So remember, 1 John 1, he's dealing with doctrine, teaching. And, and the problem for most believers today is who they are in Christ. It's, it's, it's like you're in Christ realities. So today we live in a culture where they say, you know, be your, bring your full self. Speak your truth. This is, this is a culture we live in today. That, that you have your own truth. And why is that? Because we live in a relativistic culture where there are no objective right and wrong. So if there are no objective right and wrongs, then you have your own truth and you can speak that truth. And whatever it is, whatever feels good to you, whatever you think is right, that's what right is. And that's not biblical truth. Just understand, that's why Jesus says, don't be a friend of the world. Because the world is slowly and systematically deconstructing all of the the Judeo-Christian values that exist. The world is in opposition to God. Now, you may not understand it because Satan is no longer doing the thing he did in the past. Satan knows open warfare is not effective long term for destroying the church. Satan knows martyring people is not good at destroying the church. Those are tactics he is still trying in certain places of the world, and he tried it with the early church. But Jesus said if a, if a grain of wheat falls in the ground and dies, what happens? It bears fruit. And historically, every time the church has been persecuted, what has happened in that generation? The church has exploded. Right now, China once again is facing persecution. We thought it was over. Most people thought, okay, now China's on board. They're becoming a little bit more democratic. They're part of the, you know, New World Trade Organization. Like, it's going to be all good. Now, they are literally trying to eliminate the church in China. But, but because they're doing this, what happens is the church goes underground and it grows more massively. When ISIS came through Iraq and was eliminating openly Christ, open Christians, people who were professing their faith openly, we thought, many people thought, oh, the church is in trouble. But do you know what happened to the church in Iraq? It's exploded. Same thing happened in Africa. So whenever persecution comes, that's not necessarily the end of that church. Now, there have been times when the persecution has led for uh, the church to be, in a sense, a, a quick, rapid decline, but that's not necessarily the norm. Here, something has happened in John's churches. There's been a crisis, and he's writing a letter to resolve the crisis, to bring confidence to the believers. And here, John chapter 1 and verse 1 and and chapters 1 and 2, he's talked about good teaching. He's had to reaffirm his credibility. But we get here in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, he makes another point, which I think is appropriate for today. It says, behold, he's like, look at this. Consider this. Every time you see the word behold in the Bible, it's saying, look closely at what is about to be said, because this is important. Jesus used to say something like it. He would say what? Verily, verily. And he'd say something that would blow your mind. Truly, truly. And then he'd say something like, 
You're like, what, what in the world are you talking about? This is, this is one of those verily verilies. He says, behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. That word bestowed is given. This is a gift God has given to us. It's a gift that we don't give back to him. He's like, look at this. This is, he's still talking about proper teaching, about proper doctrine. People have come in and taught something antithetical to what he has taught, to what Jesus has taught. And he's trying to reorient them, to recalibrate them, to say, let's get back to the main thing. This is it. That we should be children of God. This is a truth that is something you have to honestly keep reminding yourself that you are God's child. And because you are a child of God, you can't act, cannot act like the rest of the world. Because you are God's child, it's impossible for you to act like the rest of the world. There's some very difficult scriptures in, in John, 1 John 1, 2, and even 3 that a lot of people have challenges wrestling with regarding sin. Talks about, man, if you're, if you're a child of God, you'll, you won't sin. But, but the context is what? Sinning perpetually. And, and that's, that's the point John's trying to say. Like, if you are in Christ, you won't respond to sinful behavior like you did before you were in Christ. You are a new creation. You are a new creature. You are God's child. And because you're like God, you won't be able to just keep on sinning and not even feel guilty about it. Not even feel any type of way about it. He's like, when you sin as a child of God, you're going to be impacted. You're going to be affected. You're going to what? Confess. You're going to repent. You're going to turn and go the other direction. And these are evidences that you are God's child. Now, what's interesting, this same John is a God that said what about God? That God is love. And, and, and if God is love, that is a part of us. We are like God as his children. Now, we are maturing to become more like God, but the seed of God is in us. And if you are who Jesus says you are, who the Holy Spirit through John says you are, you are God's child. And there should be a change happening in your life. You should not be the same person this year as you were last year. And, and this year, as you were 15 years ago, that, that's impossible as God's child. God's child doesn't act like the rest of the world. You're, you're going to think differently. You're going to walk differently. You're going to talk differently. You're going to conduct yourselves in such a way that the world says there's something different about you. Now, remember, God is love. He is love. That's why he tells us to love one another. You have the capacity now to love like God loves. So here, what he's communicating that God is love. Before this, this actually comes in uh, chapter 4. And this is something interesting about God. If God is love, then it tells you something about the dynamics of God before the earth was created. If you think about God, I remember having a discussion with a young man when he was in high school. And he was a, a man who, who was against Christianity. I'm not going to talk about his faith. He was against Christianity. And he said, you Christians... You're so silly because you think there's three gods, right? And, and you know what he's talking about, the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he's like, you guys believe in three gods. You know, we are not, we're, we're monotheistic. We think there's only one God. And I said, listen to this. 
I read this from a, a, a Catholic apolog, apologetics teacher, and he said, if you think about God, there's only one way that God could be fully God and still be who he claims to be. I'll go further. If you say, does God have a need? If you would say, no, I would agree with you. Does God have a need? Because if God had a need, then he wouldn't be God. If God needed something, he wouldn't be all-powerful. If God was in need of something, how could he be eternal? There'd be, there'd be lack there. So God, by the very definition of him being God, is in need of absolutely nothing. So, so if God is in need of absolutely nothing, then why did he create man? And some people say, well, God created man because he was, he was lonely. And if God was lonely, then he has a what? Need. So you're like, wait a minute. If God created, it couldn't have been because he was lonely because then he would have a need. So I need to go back and rethink that. But if you go back and rethink it, think about this. God was always in community because God has always been the God, the what? Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit. God has always been an eternal community. From eternity past, it's been God. But he's always been in love with himself, for lack of a better term. So, so if you think about saying God is love, he can't be love unless he has something to love. So God, from eternity past, and it all falls in the line, has been in fellowship, has been in relationship, has been loving from the very beginning. And all these good qualities that we talk about that God has, those are his qualities that he owns, and he's trying to give them, give us those qualities, those fruit to be born in our life. So when we say, therefore, the world does not know us, John here was talking about his interaction with society. John is in Ephesus, and people are leaving John. And John's like, they're leaving because, why? They don't know us. We're Christians. We're not after the same things they are. We're not seeking position or power. We're not greedy. We're not seeking pride of life, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh. We're not seeking those things. We're seeking God's will. And because that he didn't fight them when they left, they left and they're okay. Because he's after God's will. Because he's God's child. And he goes on to say, beloved, now we are children of God. And this is the part I like. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. So he's trying to communicate to these people who are receiving this letter. He's trying to say, right now, at this moment, I observe a contrast in time between now and not yet. And the author is trying to get the readers to understand something. Right now, things may seem bad. They may seem tough. At this moment, this church has gone through a, a fight, a, a crisis, a challenge. And people are disappointed. People are depressed. People are hurt. Life, they're about to go through persecution. Remember, Timothy comes along as the pastor of this church over here, and they get persecuted. Timothy gets executed. John eventually gets boiled, boiled in oil and sent over to Patmos. 
right? So bad times are coming, and the Holy Spirit is the one who's inspiring this writing. So, so he's trying to give them this encouragement. If right now you're discouraged, how do I encourage you? In Christ, we encourage people by pointing to realities that they cannot yet see. They cannot yet understand. We're encouraged because Jesus is coming. Like, when, when Lord? Like, we've been waiting for him for 2,019 years. But that gives people hope. Here he's doing the same thing. He says, look, right now, we're God's children right now. But the way we look... We don't look like how we're going to look for eternity. That is coming. So he's trying to say, look, things are bad, but you're God's child. And that's the best it could ever be. And this is the greatest gift we could ever be given to be God's children. There's no gift that God that could have given you better than that. You are a child of God now at this moment. You're like, but I'm getting older I'm getting weaker. My breath smells worse than it did yesterday. All those things may be true because we're outwardly, we're wasting away. But the Bible says inwardly we're being what? Renewed day by day. If you've placed all your hope in finding happiness while you're in this flesh, you're going to be disappointed 100% of the time. Because the hope and the promise isn't what's going to happen to you, what's in, what happens to you while you're in this flesh. The promise is what happens to you in the future. Now, God does great things for you now. He answers your prayer now. He blesses you now. You are free from sins now. But all those things happen in a, in a, in a large portion, but not completely, not comprehensively. What I'm trying to say is right now, you are getting God to move in your life and praise God for that, but he's not going to answer all your problems now. That happens in eternity. But wait, don't get discouraged. Don't get disappointed because you're God's child. And because you're God's child, understand there's a future that's coming for you. And it's not yet. This is the problem with all theology, the now and the not yet. That's a theological quandary. So many people say, man, God, I want it all now. He said, but you're, you're who you are in God. And the evidence you're in God is because of God's spirit, because you don't act the same way you act historically. You don't like sin anymore like you used to. And you love the good things of God now. You're coming to church. You're growing. You're taking more care of your family. You're thinking about other people more. You're thinking about yourself. Those things are the, are the part of the process of becoming more like Jesus. It goes on to say, it says, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And in the, and in the uh, Greek, this word but is not there, so it's not contrasted. It's trying to add on to what is said previously. What we are, we have not yet seen, but what we will be is what Jesus is right now. So if you're like, man, I want to be happy, I want to be strong, those things are coming comprehensively when Jesus comes back. And if you want to know what you're going to be like, look to Jesus. Because that's what you're going to be like. Everything that Jesus does and is, that's who you are. And that's why this big war is happening for the souls of humanity. Remember, angels are simply servants. 
But we are God's children. And that makes Satan furious. That's why he's attacking humanity because he's like, they have a place of privilege I don't even have. Satan's like, I sinned one time and it's over. They're sinning consistently and you're forgiving them? That's why they call him the what? The accuser of the brethren. Satan accuses you to God consistently saying, how can you forgive her? How can you forgive him for all the stuff they're doing? And Jesus is there defending you. He's interceding for you. He's your lawyer. He's trying to tell God, Lord, I understand, but they believe in me. They trust me. Give them grace, Lord. Give them mercy. They're getting it together. Remember, they're your son and they're your daughter. Give them time. I got a couple points and I'm done for the day. God displays his love extravagantly. What's the problem? Time. God is working through history in order to save as many human beings as possible. That takes time. I want it all to happen now. I want the picket fence and I want the house and I want it forever. But what if that doesn't happen now? How is God showing me that he loves me extravagantly? Because he saved you. He's changing you. He's making you more like Jesus. And the more you press in, the lean in to God, the more you'll look and act like Jesus. It doesn't happen overnight. But you'll see it, and ultimately other people will as well. For us. This is why this is important for us to understand. God loves us. You're like, man, I don't see much change in my life. Do you respond to sin the way you did in the past? If you say no, that's the evidence that God loves you and you're God's child. You're God's children. (laughs) You have God's Holy Spirit in you. And that's the evidence that you're God's children. Appreciate that love that God has for you. Cherish that love that God has for you. That's something I struggle with, cherishing moments. And I'll try to be as transparent as possible with the little time I have left. I have a hard time sitting down and just appreciating my life, the good times. Sometimes I think I'm battle-worn. Like I've been through so much trauma or stress in life that I'm like, I can't sit down and just say, okay, this is a good time. I can't sometimes have a hard time saying, thank you, God, because you're so good to me. I have to actually consciously say to myself, I'm thankful for where I am. I'm thankful for the life I have. I'm thankful for the wife I have. I'm thankful for my, I have to constantly remind myself of that because it doesn't come out naturally. Because sometimes I'm afraid, okay, something bad's going to happen next week. So I need to, I need to, to brace myself. And if I live my life that way, I'll never be able to experience this. To sit down and realize, man, how good I do have it. Because I'm God's child, he loves me. And I know how I treat my kids. I'm not the best dad. God is far better than I am. And I'll do anything for my kids. And God will do even more for us. Because you're his child. Faithfully reciprocate God's love back to Him all the days of your life. God loves you, has given you something precious and priceless. He's given you a new life in Him. Let that carry you when you're doing your dishes. Say to yourself, I'm God's child. Times are rough. 
but I can't tell you what's going to happen to you tomorrow. No one can. Tomorrow is not promised, but today, while you have breath in your body, while you understand who you are in God, you're his child and he loves you. He has your best interest in mind. Respond. Give him what you have at that moment. If it's a thank you, if it's almost been time with you, if I'm going to call somebody and tell them how, how much God loves them, like respond to God's love. God has given you the greatest gift imaginable in Christ. God couldn't give you anything better than that. Think about it. We went from God's enemies, human beings, servants, to children of God. That is a leap that is incomprehensible. It's, it's, it's almost difference between being a, 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 a peanut and a nuclear warhead. I mean, it's like, it's, it's, the analogy breaks down. Like, it's like peanut butter and Saturn, right? You understand where I'm going. It's, it's like, well, I can go on and on. But, but you get it. Like, you went from a servant, a human, to a child of God. Now, he, he's obligated to love you, to care for you, to be there for you, to spend time with you, to protect you. He's your, he's your father. And there's, you can't get any closer than that. And it can't get any better than that. You may say, oh, God, give me a Ferrari. Give me a Benz. Give me a Beamer. He's like, I already gave you the best gift there is. Me. Is God enough? Remember, we are just at the beginning of experiencing God's love for us. This is like the first step in a journey that does not end. And I used to love, I don't know if you ever read this uh, story or watched the movie. It's called The Never Ending Story. I just love the title of it, right? Now, now I don't know, the movie was a little sad, a little depressing, but nevertheless, I love the title. And when I was a little boy, I knew that my life would eventually end, but to hear that there is a story that never ends... And that, that was exciting to me. And now I'm older, don't have as much imagination. And, but I open the Bible and I hear God's promises that we could be a part of this story that, that never ends. And we could do it with him as his children. And that's, that's why movies in the past and stories that had this phrase at the end and they lived happily ever after. That's, that's where it comes from. My hope is that you learned something today. I'm not going to call you out. <laughs> but if you did learn something, my question is, what, what difference will that make for your life? I used to have these uh, Bible verses that I used to read over and over for affirmations of who I was in, in God. And sometimes you, you need to remind yourself of who you are in God. That yes, you struggle with sin, you make mistakes, you're like every other person, you're broken. But you are God's child. And that means something. That means something right now. And that should give you a hope for a future. We all blow it. We miss it. Sometimes we don't give our best. Sometimes we don't even give a third. <laughs> but we're still God's children. And He will take us to where we need to go. He'll keep us. He'll provide for us. He'll protect us. So in the end, we'll hear these words. Well done.
This has been a presentation of Endurance Church. For more about the ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash endurancechurch and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash endurancechurch.tv. Remember to live well and finish strong. Oh,